Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Seek, and you shall find. While I believe that these words are really meant to be words of encouragement and joy, I also know that they frequently do bring up frustrations for us. I've been seeking, but I haven't been finding. I keep asking and praying again and again, but things don't seem to change. If God is the good giver, then why don't things seem to be changing? Or maybe it's that I need to think about what good is in a different way. Maybe the painful things that I experience are actually his good gifts. Or maybe I need to be more careful what I pray for, right? People say, be careful what you wish for. If I'm praying for something like patience, maybe that's too broad and God just keeps giving me all these really difficult things to teach me patience. Ask, and it will be given to you. What I want to do today is to situate these words in the context of what Jesus is talking about here, and specifically to consider it within this central relationship that Jesus is describing. And then after doing so, to kind of circle back and reconsider some of these frustrations in light of what Jesus says about this relationship. The central relationship that Jesus is describing is God as Father, We see it at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in this portion, and it ends this reading as well as Jesus talks about fathers and children and the Heavenly Father providing for his children. And some may have a problem with this language of God as Father, and maybe somewhat validly so, as their experience of a father was not one who was providing or sustaining for them, but one who did harmful things or was neglectful. It's possible. But God as Father is not about some sort of gender identity or role for God. It's about provision. And we can see this in the text. The language of Father is woven through this text like a thread, and right alongside of it, woven into it as well, is this language of food. Daily bread. Requesting bread at midnight from a friend. Fish. Eggs for children praying for daily bread, praying for these things, is being invited into seeing this language of God as a parent who provides. So if the language of father doesn't strike you very well, it's okay, I think, to consider something like a mother, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, a guardian, somebody who when you think, yeah, they are someone who provided for me and sustained me. You see, God does not mimic human parents. So that as humans do, so God does. Rather, he is the quintessential provider from whom people, like fathers, are to learn to love and provide. Jesus says, which of you fathers, if your kid asks you for some fish, would instead give them a dangerous snake instead? This is a generalization because, honestly, there are probably people in the world who might not know how to provide for their kids or when their children ask them for something that is important and needed, may not give it to them. This is a generalization, but it's an important one. In general, humans, parents, know how to take care of their children. If they're hungry, you give them food. If they're thirsty, you get them water or something else to drink. 
These are good gifts. Good gifts. And if we who are marked by sin and evil know how to give good gifts, well then God who is not marked by any sin or evil certainly knows how to give good gifts. He is by far better. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, God is even ready and willing to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. The Holy Spirit is that which creates and sustains life in the world. And we see this in the beginning. In the beginning, the Spirit is there hovering over the the deep in the midst of that darkness, and then God speaks, and the Spirit goes to work. Plants start coming forth from the ground. There's animals. Life is provided for and sustained by God's presence in his Spirit. The Spirit is that which brings about goodness and life. And we see this even as the Gospel accounts continue on. The Spirit is there to bring more goodness, more life. It is there to give the good news to Zechariah that he's going to have a son named John who is going to be filled with the Spirit. It is there with Mary as well when the angel speaks to her. There with Simeon in the temple. And then we watch as the Spirit descends upon Jesus in his baptism. And shortly after this, Jesus is in a synagogue. Opens up the scroll of Isaiah and starts reading, The Spirit of Yahweh is upon me. Because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To bring about release from captivity. And from that day on, from his baptism and that announcement on, every single thing that Jesus does is by the power of the Spirit. The Spirit that's there in the beginning creating and sustaining life is there working through Jesus to heal bodies to make the lame walk, to open blind eyes, to raise the dead, to forgive sins, to welcome the outcasts and the marginalized. And when Jesus is out in the countryside, surrounded by thousands of hungry people, he takes bread and fish, two Galilean staples as far as food goes, bread and fish, blesses them and gives them out to the people. That is the Holy Spirit creating and sustaining Life through Jesus in that situation. The Spirit brings forth food, even bread and fish. Thus, when Jesus says, how much more, right, when comparing fathers giving food to their children, how much more is the Heavenly Father ready to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's not as if praying for the Spirit and praying for food are sort of like contrasting opposites, as if it's this tension between physical and spiritual things and which one is better. It's rather that the Holy Spirit encompasses all of that, including food. It's like God saying, you need food? You're praying for food? I am going to give you the very thing that makes food possible, the Spirit itself. You need sustenance in the present and into the future. I am going to give you that which sustains life from the beginning into eternity beyond the resurrection of all flesh. Jesus is presenting God as one who is immeasurably more generous than anything that we can imagine. And his generosity is not out of some divine necessity or even out of like how well we request and pray, but simply because he is good. He is the loving parent who provides for all of his children, right? for all of his human creatures. 
And we see this in sort of a sideways way in the little story that Jesus tells about the person requesting food at midnight for a guest. Right? If humans do things like give good things, even, um, you know, begrudgingly so, like got to force the person to get out of bed or it's out of this shameless audacity that somebody gets up to give good things. If humans do that, how much more is God, who is even better than that, going to give good gifts? We don't have to badger him. We don't have to pester him or try to urge him out of bed. He's just willing to give and that goodness is on full display in the resurrection of Jesus. Good in God's eyes is human life alive and well. It is humanity. No more sin, no more death, no more pain or suffering. Good in God's eyes is this reality of human thriving and provision, even through the ordinary mundane things like bread and fish given to thousands. So when Jesus says, ask and you shall receive, Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you shall find. It's not a call to go and pester God and like rally the troops and storm the gates of heaven because maybe if we're loud enough and consistent enough, God will finally hear us. It's an invitation rather to to consider God as this one who is immeasurably generous, who just keeps pouring out gifts. And of course, if you ask the one who keeps pouring out gifts, he is going to give. He loves to give. To pray to him and request of him is to speak to one who is immensely greater than all the goodness that we have experienced through other people. He is willing to give the very basis of goodness in life, the Holy Spirit. God is good. He gives good gifts, even daily bread, even the Holy Spirit. And this is the central relationship that Jesus is putting forward in this text. So when we encounter those frustrations I mentioned earlier, some of them may change a little bit if we approach them from this central relationship. If we wonder to ourselves, well, maybe I need to be more careful what I pray for, right? Be careful what you wish for sort of a thing. Maybe I need to stop praying for patience because that's too broad and God is using that to cause all these horrible things to happen so I would learn patience. But even those that are evil know how to give good gifts, Jesus says. And if my child asked me for food because they were hungry, I would not say, sure, I put all the food up on the roof of the house. Go figure out how to get it, right? If my kid comes to me hungry and says, I'm hungry and thirsty, good. I put all of the food on the middle of the interstate. You get it safely, it's all yours. Eat as much as you want, right? This is not good. And God is good and by far better than us. His desire is to provide and care, not to trick us into learning some sort of lesson. He'd be a terrible parent if that was the case. Some might say, well, maybe we need to think differently about what good is, right? If God is immeasurably more good than we are, well, then maybe what we think is good is not necessarily good in God's eyes or something that we don't think is good is actually good in his eyes, right? We pray for one thing, the opposite happens. We pray for healing. We pray for reconciliation between family members. We pray for protection and care for people in our neighborhoods and in our cities. We pray for the well-being of the planet. But if the opposite happens, maybe that is God 
doing the opposite thing and wanting us to see that it's actually really good. Certainly there are things that God may see as good that we do not. It's very, very possible and probably very true. But to apply this wholesale destroys any sense of what good actually is. It means that those things like pain and suffering and death and even sin and evil in the world are actually secretly supposed to be good, even though they're the very opposite of what God says he is doing. If we pray for healing again and again and someone dies, that doesn't mean that God did it. If a child asks for food, which of you would give them a deadly scorpion? God is even better. He will not give death as a gift to those who pray for healing. Which may bring up this last question for us. Okay, God is good. He gives good gifts. He's the great sustainer and provider and even gives to the spirit which brings life and sustains all things, even in the most menial and mundane aspects of this creation. But if that's the case, why do I keep asking and praying and praying and praying and nothing seems to change? A few brief things here. It's very possible that we're actually praying for something that's not good. And I don't say this as if we need to like really deeply evaluate all of our prayers, but just to remember, two of the disciples of Jesus asked him if they can call down fire upon the Samaritans. Jesus says that's a terrible idea. Peter gets in Jesus' way and says, crucifixion's a bad way for you to go. It is possible that we could be praying for things that are not good, but I don't want that to ever hinder your prayers because some people would think, oh, I shouldn't pray for a car, for instance. In some instances, that could be a selfish prayer. In other instances, it could be what's needed to provide more mobility, to get more job offers, to get children to school, to be able to get to the grocery store. A car could actually be a huge step towards greater peace and goodness in someone's life. So I say that not wanting to hinder your prayers. Whatever is on your heart and mind, I really encourage you, bring it to God. But with that, Again, what we think that is good may not always be what is good. And the inverse of that goes true as well. If I pray for a million dollars, for instance, and somehow in the future I end up with a million dollars, that's not God's thumbs up to say, good prayer, (laughs) right? There's a lot of other factors that can go into that as well. The other thing that can come up for us at times when we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and nothing seems to change, we might look inward and think, what did I do wrong? Right? I don't actually deserve these things. There's nothing good in me. But if we based our prayers on what we deserve, then no one's going to get anything. Right? It's not based on our inner well-being. It's not based on how righteous or holy we are. It's based, again, as Jesus is putting forward, on the one who just loves to give, who loves to provide. I don't look at my children when they ask for something like food and say, I don't know if you deserve it. They're my children. I love them. And God describes himself as a parent to us who loves us as well. The last thing as we pray and pray and sometimes things don't change that I want you to remember is that there is evil at work in the world. Paul talks about this. There are dark powers, these 
dark authorities, and I'm not talking about human beings, but something underlying that, that works in this world to oppose the good news that God is bringing about. There are powers at work that are seeking to stop any goodness and life that God is working in the world, that is working against the very things that we pray for. And God has promised that he is resisting that and fighting against it by his spirit as well. We might pray and pray and something horrible may happen. We don't have to look to God to say, how is this actually good? It could just be a reminder that we're praying and asking for goodness in the midst of a world where evil is still at work. Nevertheless, we pray. We keep asking God because he is the good giver of all gifts. We seek him and call upon him because he is the one who sustains He is the one who is actively pushing back the forces of evil in this world. He is the one who already is victorious over that horrible tyrant death, right? If we're praying for healing and someone dies, I hope echoing in our ears also comes Paul's words, that last enemy is death. And Christ is going to return with the power of his resurrection and raise all the dead. And that last enemy will finally be trampled under his feet. We have a God who is victorious and continue to bring about that victory in the world, even in the midst of evil and its opposition. He gives good gifts. He is working to restore and release his creation from its bondage so that all may be filled with the spirit, a spirit that he continues to pour out even upon us now. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.